Today's word comes from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 9. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 9. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What should I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commanded the dishonest manager for his uh, shrewdness. For the son of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. This is what of God. Yeah, last week I noticed that the sermon was about half an hour, right? And uh, the week before that, it was about 40 minutes, so we're like trending down. So that's good, right? So as soon as Susung leaves, we're trending down. So we'll see what happens today, no promises, right? but hopefully we can do something good. Um, yeah, so let me pray once more time, okay? And before we pray, um, a long time ago, I had a pastor uh, who taught me, like, he said, you know, put your hands together, right? And, um, you know, come with expectation before God, right? Believe in, you know, when, whenever we come to church, come with a little expectation. And, like, you know, God's going to fill that cup, right? And a lot of times we just kind of come here, okay, what, okay, sermon's next. All right, sing the song, you know? And we have, like, no expectation of what God can do. Right? And uh, we're going to talk about a pretty challenging topic of money. All right? So like, what do, what do you want to speak to me? Right? And uh, let's pray. Let's pray with some expectation. All right? So let me pray for us real quick. Um, Lord, we come to your table. And uh, Lord, you want to speak to us. You want to commune with us. You want to dine with us. And um, sometimes uh, the food that you give us is sweet and delicious. Uh, and sometimes it's bitter and hard. Uh, but Lord, regardless of what you give us, help us to take it and receive it and grow because of it, uh, knowing that uh, you love us and uh, you desire for each and every one of us to be uh, wiser and more shrewd in how we uh, love you and how we love the people of this world and those around us. Um, so we thank you for your word. Um, and uh, Lord, as we go into it, uh, be with us and uh, teach us. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so now with that little cup, you can splash the person next to you, okay? Because whatever God gives you, you got to share it with other people, right? And water fights are fun. All right, so um, 
Yeah, um, this passage is interesting, all right, Luke chapter 16. If you look it up on like YouTube or you search sermons on it and uh, you look at what the titles are, um, they're like oftentimes the most misunderstood parable or the hardest parable or the most confusing parable. So I'm like, okay, why am I teaching this, all right? But um, I don't think it's that confusing, uh, but it is interesting because there's a little bit of a twist to it. Right? A lot of times, uh, Jesus' parables are pretty straightforward, but sometimes, you know, you watch a movie or you read a book and there's like a twist to the story and it makes you remember it a little bit better, right? And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's using some, uh, this dishonest character uh, to teach us a little bit of a lesson and uh, hopefully something that we can remember. All right, so, um, you know, obviously, as I said, all right, we're going to talk a little bit about money, right? And money is always a kind of weird topic because uh, we sort of need it to survive, uh, but at the same time, it's like dangerously alluring, right? It's, there's this, like this pull um, that, uh, that, that become dangerous if we have too much of it, right? And, um, and this pull can be kind of a weird thing. Right? I, I don't know. The only thing I could think of that was similar to this is like drug dealers that always tell their people like, don't use the supply, man. Don't get high off the supply. You just trade the thing and, you know, don't use it, right? And it's the same thing with that, money, right? You got to use money, but don't get high off it, right? Because otherwise you're going to fail. It's going to crash you, right? And, and, you're, and it's going to destroy you. Right? And this, this, this is the weird thing about money. So um, in churches, um, it seems like a lot of churches either go one of two different directions. They, you know, if you're a very pious church, they'll run to one direction and, you know, you have to become a monk or you have to sell everything that you have or you can show uh, no um, you know, nothing of success or nothing of wealth, okay? So buy cheap shoes and drive a cheap car and, and uh, you know, don't wear name brand clothes and make sure, you know, and that's the pious side of the church. And the other side of the church, um, you know, they run to like this weird prosperity gospel where they're like, you know, this signs of wealth show God's blessing over your life. So the more that you can show off and the nicer clothes that you can wear and the more designer suits that you can have and, and the fancier car that you can drive is to God's glory, all right? So, um, you know, give your money to God and, and to this pastor that's living in this multi-million dollar house and, uh, you know, this shows God's glory, right? And uh, so that's kind of weird that the churches do that, right? Uh, but um, there's got to be something kind of in the middle that probably makes more sense, right? And, uh, and the Bible is also kind of all over the place on this. Like, there's not like one answer. Um, you know, there's um, examples like um, uh, the, the uh, Proverbs, the, 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 the woman of noble character or the wife of noble character, and she's like trading fields and trading linens and material. And this is like, like a high-value woman, Right? She's not some poor, like, oh, no, 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 I gave, like, the, the woman of noble character isn't, she gave everything, and she's super poor, and she gives her last two pennies in the offering, and, and she has nothing, right? This woman's taking care of the family, she's making business deals, she's, like, global, she's, like, doing everything, right? And, and this is, like, something that we're supposed to attain or, or look at um, with, um, you know, that we should try to copy, Right? And there's, you know, also other rich characters, um, you know, David or Solomon or, you know, Joseph of Arimathea that buys the tomb for Jesus. Or there's all these different characters that happen to be wealthy in the Bible, and they're never looked down upon or slammed, or they're never told to give up all their riches. 
Like, but at the same time, there's a lot of poor characters in the Bible, you know, that we're supposed to emulate, like, uh, you know, the woman who does give her last two pennies in the offering. And she's, you know, God, uh, Jesus says she's given more than all these people combined, right? And we're supposed to mimic these people as well. So it's like, where are we on this? You know, what do I do with this money? Do I have too much in my pockets in my bank account or do I have too little, right? So um, throughout this message, uh, we're going to look a little bit about um, or answer the question, how can we be faithful with the resources God has given us? Right? How can we be faithful? How can we be faithful with the resources God has given us? All right, so uh, to do this, I have three points. Right? And the first point is don't hate the player, hate the game. Right? So probably the first and last time you hear that point in a sermon. Right? Don't hate the player, hate the game. Second point will be shrewd friendships. And third, faithful. All right, so... Uh, let's look at don't hate the player, hate the game, all right? And basically, I'm just going to kind of go over this story and, uh, and what it means, all right? So again, um, uh, a lot of times when, you know, we're, we're kind of going from like sermon to sermon, guest speaker to guest speaker. So, you know, I'm kind of jumping in here in the middle of nowhere and in, in the middle of Luke, you know, so what is the context of this passage? What's going on here, right? So I want to give you a little bit of that, all right? So if you go to the beginning or if you go one chapter back to chapter 15, all right, we'll see that the Pharisees are grumbling because all these different sinners and, and uh, tax collectors, they're all going to Jesus, Right? So um, the Pharisees are getting upset over that. You know, all these people used to come to me, and now Jesus is the center of attention. Right? So Jesus begins to give these different parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the prodigal son, right? talking about how, uh, like how amazing it is when someone who is lost is found. Right? And, uh, um, and uh, so he's telling these stories to the Pharisees to tell them like, why these sinners are coming to me. Right? And uh, if we look at the end of this chapter 16 that we just read, right, it talks about, uh, it says in uh, verse 14, the Pharisees were lovers of money. Okay, so all these things that Jesus talks about in this parable uh, that, that uh, Joy just read to us, right, the Pharisees grumble over it because right, they were lovers of money. Okay, so um, in one sense, right, in the first verse says he said to the disciples, okay, so Jesus is directly addressing the disciples with this parable, but at the same time, right, he knows that the Pharisees are overhearing, right? So, um, so this is to the Pharisees. And so um, typically when we Think of the Pharisees, right? No, nobody identifies as the Pharisees, right? They're just the bad guys in the story. They're the evil people. They're the people that, you know, none of us are, none of us want to be, and we should just avoid them, right? But I find that when I read the Bible and as I've grown older and a little bit wiser, more often than not, we are the Pharisees, right? So when we figure out that we are the Pharisees and then we read the story, then we get a lot more out of it. Right? We get a lot more out of it because, you know, when we look at it, are we the disciples or are we the Pharisees? Or are we the manager? Or are we the rich man? Like, who, who are we? Right. Um, and uh, it's not hard to see that a lot of times, like I said, we are the Pharisees. We are, you know, uh, lovers of something hidden by some religion or covered by like this veil of religion. So uh, these Pharisees were lovers of money, but they, you know, were hiding it under this religious garb. Right? Um, and, uh, you know, you can see that in a, in a number of different ways. You know, we spend a lot of time, you know, some of us thinking about our investments. How can I get into Bitcoin or what are this NFT stuff that I'm hearing about? And how can I get rich off that? I hear there's like some 13-year-old drawing drawings on Microsoft Paint and just selling these NFTs for millions of dollars. And it's like, how do I get in that? Right. And, um, 
You know, some of us are consumed with our purchases. It's like, oh, what, what are the next shoes that I'm going to buy? Or the purse or, or this or that. And, and our minds are consumed with this money, right? But, you know, we're also religious and humble. So we don't wear it to church. But, you know, when we go to work, you know, we're, we're showing off as much as we can. Or, um, you know, for me, I remember a lot of times when I was in college, um, you know, I'd have these friends that said, you know, oh, I'm, I'm going to become an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer or a computer programmer for Jesus, right? And uh, these same people that are doing this for Jesus never come to church Sunday morning, right? So it's like, where is it? There's some kind of like disconnect here where they're doing something for Jesus, but they're not doing something for Jesus, right? So, um, you know, so it's like veiled in religion, but really it's kind of like, you know, what, what, what are you doing, you know? And, uh, you know, other examples, um, you know, it's like for business meetings or work meetings, you know, we're always on time. You know, I, I can't, I can remember if I'm ever late when I was an engineer, when I was late to work, or if I were ever too late to a meeting, I'd be like embarrassed or, you know, I, I'd feel like terrible. I feel weird, you know, sneaking into the meeting like that. But when it comes to church, as long as we sort of get there, you know, you know, after praise, before the announcements, the announcements is like, okay, I got there just on time, you know, and, uh, you know, if I start missing the sermon, then I got to feel a little bit guilty. Uh, but, you know, I, I got there, you know. Um, I, it reminds me of a funny story. Um, during college, when I was doing college ministry, there was this one kid who came up to me and he's like, uh, Joe, what time is, um, what time is, is, is uh, the service over? And I was like, why do you want to know what time the service is over? The service starts at like 10 o'clock. And he's like, you got to be there by 10 o'clock. It's like, no, 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 no. I want to know what time it's over because that's when lunch is. <laughs> I was like, okay. He's just there for the food. All right, awesome. Of course, he was just joking around. Uh, but, um, but, you know, it's when money's involved, when our reputation's involved. Um, you know, everything's important. Right? Uh, but, um, you know, when other things, they, they become less important. Right? We are these types of Pharisees. And so, uh, with this in mind, all right, let's look at this story. All right, let's look at this story. Uh, there's two primary characters in this story, the rich man and the manager, okay? And as it says, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought against him, that this man was wasting his possessions, okay? So he's wasting his resources. So obviously, this man was about to get fired, and uh, this manager realizes, or he has some self-reflection, a moment of self-reflection, and he says, I can't do squat, right? I can't shovel, I can't, uh, you know, do anything else. This is the only thing I can do, and I'm about to be fired, so what am I going to do, right? So um, he comes up with a plan, and he decides, I'm going to run to all these people that owe my boss money, and I'm going to cancel those things, right? So he goes to someone that owes him, uh, whatever, 100 barrels of oil or something like that, and says, hey, quickly in your books, you know, cancel that out and change it to 50, right? That sounds pretty good, right? So some of you that are in college or some of you, uh, you know, parents, if you had your bill of $100,000 and this, uh, you know, college uh, financial person runs up to you and it's like, hey, 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 quickly change that $100,000 debt it's a $50,000 bet. Be like, all right, yeah. It's like, what was your name again? It's like, I'm going to remember you, right? And uh, we'd, we'd be overjoyed. And he does that with someone who owned him, you know, a lot of wheats and said, hey, cancel that. Make that number this much lower. All right, so 
Uh, he does this and he secures friendships so that after he gets fired, right, he'll have these people to go to and say, hey, remember when I did this thing for you? It's like, maybe you have a job opening for me. He's like, I'm really good with money. All right, so, um, you know, hopefully he could find a job like that. And uh, what happens at the end of the story is um, the master comes to him, the boss comes up to him, and the master commends this dishonest manager, which is a weird thing to do, right? Um, he commends him for his shrewdness, his wisdom. Right? So um, if we were to put it in modern words, or if I were to put it in my own Bible version, right, I would have had the, the manager say to the boss, right, don't hate the player, hate the game. Right? And the boss would have been like, ah, I got gotcha. you. Know? He's like, yeah, you're right. right. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Right? This is just part of the game, and uh, you got me on this. Right? And uh, you know, I respect that. Right? There's a certain like, level of respect for what that manager did. Right? So that's the reason for that weird the title of this point. Right? He's still going to lose his job. Right? It's not like the, the, the boss is like, I respect you and you're going to keep your job. No, no, no. Right? He mismanaged his resources and he cut all this debt that you know, was owed to the, to the boss. Right? So he's still going to lose his job, but there's a little bit of respect for the hustle. Right? There's a respect for the hustle. Right, so um, where do we go with this? Where do we go with this? Right, the reason that this parable is so um, you know, misunderstood or difficult or hard to understand is because Jesus is like, is Jesus commending this? Like, is this what Christians are supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be dishonest and running around and, and uh, you know, doing uh, shrewd negotiations like this under the table? Um, you know, and obviously not. Obviously not. Okay, so let's go to the second point. All right, let's go to the second point. Uh, shrewd friendships. All right, the point of the story is a bit of a rebuke. All right, it says um, in verse 8, the second half, it says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. All right, so uh, the first half of that, right, more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Okay, uh, Matthew 10 might help us uh, discover what this means. It says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Okay, so we're supposed to have some shrewdness, some wisdom in how we deal with other people. Right, we're not supposed to be, um, you know, just kind of airheads walking around. All right, we got to think about um, you know, how do we get people into the kingdom of God? What are we doing in our relationships? What are we doing with our lives? Right? The manager was shrewd in building relationships for his own gain. Um, and on the flip side of that, we need to be shrewd in building relationships for their gain, right? for the kingdom of God. Right? So once again, the, the big question here is, what's the plan to get people into the kingdom of God? What's our plan to get people into the kingdom of God? Right? What is that plan? Um, verse 9, I tell you, make friends for yourselves with, by the means of unrighteous wealth. Okay, that sounds confusing. Does that mean like God wants us to go to uh, the Matrix Casino and get some unrighteous wealth, right? Or, you know, start uh, dealing drugs or something, like get unrighteous wealth for the kingdom of God? And uh, no, all right, um, it's just making a strong contrast with the eternal dwellings, okay? Um, so use this wealth that you have, right, so that when it fails, which it ultimately will, that you'll 
be able to bring people into this eternal dwelling. You'll be able to celebrate with these things. All right, so um, I was kind of thinking about, um, you know, sometimes if you guys are parents, you bring your kids to Chuck E. Cheese, or if you remember when you were younger, you'd go to Chuck E. Cheese, and then you'd play all these skee-ball, or, you know, you'd like try to like stop the little circle thing and stop it on this little pin so you get as many tickets as you can, and then you get all these dirty, crumpled up tickets, right? And you don't just go home with those things, right? Your parents or someone older than you, it's like, all right, now let's go to the shop and get these amazing toys, right? And when you're a little kid, they're amazing toys, right? So you trade these dirty, crumpled tickets for something that's going to last like five minutes. In your mind, it's going to last forever, right? If you can get that big stuffed animal, right? But you know, it's, it's something that's going to last, right? If you go home with these tickets, you, you like, you miss the whole point of the whole thing, right? If we go home with a bunch of dollars in our pocket, right, we miss the point of the whole thing, right? If we go home and, you know, we bring other people from our work, from our family into the kingdom of God using all this green tickets that we got, right, then we win, right? There's something eternal. There's something full. Right? And that, that's what we're going for here. Um, uh, have you guys seen, I know this is a really old movie now, but how many, have you guys seen the Forrest Gump? Forrest Gump? Have, who, who hasn't seen Forrest Gump? I'm just curious, the younger ones, okay? You guys should see this because, you know, um, it, it came out in 1994, which is like, oh my gosh, that's a long time ago, right? Some of us older people are like, wasn't Forrest Gump like three years ago, four years ago, right? It was 1994, right? And back when the Academy Awards actually like meant something, right? This won like six different awards and was nominated for everything. Like it's just a great movie, like a very wholesome movie in a lot of ways to see. So, I mean, I encourage you to watch it. But, you know, basically the premise of this story is there's this guy named Forrest Gump, Right? And he is one of the, like, the kind of, like, what's so endearing about it is this guy's so kind and so nice and so, like, innocent and in a lot of ways so naive, right? But everything just falls into his lap. He's, like, successful over and over and over and over again, right? The, um, in part of the movie, um, you know, he starts the shrimping company, so he buys a shrimp boat, and he's like totally unsuccessful, not catching anything, but some like storm or hurricane comes through and knocks out all the boats except for his. So all of a sudden, he's like making tons of money, like selling shrimp, right? And then after that, he's like, well, someone told me to buy some fruit stock in some fruit company, so I bought this fruit company stock, and it turned out to be Apple, Right? And, and he's like just like banking over and over. And like this is the story of his whole life. Like one thing after the other, he's like winning awards and, and winning competitions and winning this and that over and over again. And it, he's doing this just like completely clueless and blindfolded, stumbling and bumbling through life. But everything just falls right into his hands. Right? And a lot of times I, I wonder, you know, is Jesus looking at Christians and being like, this is what the average Christian is like. They're like Forrest Gump. They're just like, we're just going to come to church, and we're going to sing Kumbaya, and all of a sudden, all these people are going to start coming into church and becoming Christians, right? And, and like with Forrest Gump, after a while, you're like, oh, it's, it's so cute that he's like this. But you're like, hey, man, this is not how life works, right? There's, there's other people in the story, like Lieutenant Dan, that just are like looking at this guy like, this guy's like a complete idiot, but somehow everything works out for him, right? And this is how Jesus is like, hey, man, it's like <laughs> life doesn't work like this, right? Sometimes... Something good will happen in your life, right? But you can't just go to church, sing Kumbaya, and hope everything's going to work, right? There, there's got to be some wisdom about how you try to bring people into the church and how you try to, to rescue people uh, from their sin and their loneliness and their emptiness, 
Right? So, so have some strategy about it all. Right? So um, once again, what is the plan? What is your plan? What is our plan to get people into the kingdom of God? Right? How are we trying to do this? Right? What are we trying to do? All right, so uh, going on to a third point, all right, faithful, faithful. Uh, verse 10, uh, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. All right, um, so uh, there's kind of a, 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 you know, very simple principle, like something small leading to something bigger or equaling something bigger. All right, so small faithfulness equals a big faithfulness, right? Very, very simple to see there. All right, but uh, let's look at this word faithful, okay, before we run over it too quickly. Because it's, you know, whenever we have these words that we use in church all the time, like I don't want to like just run over these things. Let, let's look at it. All right, so if you were to define faithful, you know, maybe a pretty good definition would be, um, you know, someone that's true to one's word, right? That person would be faithful. Uh, someone that's loyal, someone that's reliable, Right, all of us would want to have a faithful friend, right? But uh, we define it, right? That sounds good, right? That definition sounds pleasing, right? When we use it in church, it sounds great. We sing about it. I want to be faithful to you, all right? I want to be true, right? We sing and we have these inspiring songs and it's so beautiful, right? But you got to think about the reality of faithfulness, okay? This is the real definition of faithfulness, right? From Pastor Joe, okay? So, so write this one down. Right? Real faithfulness is boring. Right? Real faithfulness is pretty mundane. Right? Real faithfulness is doing things without complaining. Right? Real faithfulness is defying your own personal preferences a lot of times. Okay? So, um, you know, for instance, like if you had a baby for a lot of you parents and the baby is crying at 3 o'clock in the morning and you're like, Ugh. Right? Faithfulness isn't loyal, reliable. I'm going to go hug the baby and give it milk. No, real faithfulness is, uh, all right, I got it this time. You know, and you're barely getting up and uh, you know, you're doing faithfulness. Right? Um, real faithfulness is, you know, just, it, it, there's, nothing, there's nothing glorious about it. Like the people that come to church at four o'clock, right? There's not this band and parade and they're like, yeah, four o'clock. Blessed be you, holy person. Now church is so much brighter and, and glorious. There's nothing like that, right? There's, there's no glory to faithfulness. There's no glory to the people that clean up the chairs after service or that pick up trash or, you know, if you see toilet paper on the ground in the bathroom, you know, and you pick it up and it's like, oh, for God's glory. Like, there, there is no glory. It's just, it's just faithfulness. It's boring, right? It's mundane. It's, it's something that you, you're supposed to do without complaining and it's something that defies, like, I don't want to do that. I don't, there's a lot of things about church that I don't want to do Right? But I'm doing it because I want to be faithful. Right? So um, one who is faithful in very little, right? very little real faithfulness is also faithful with much. Right? And on the flip side, or the second half of this verse, right? this verse is a very popular memory verse. Right? Everyone wants to remember the first half. Uh, no one wants to think about the second half. 
Right, and the second half is the one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in very much. Right? Again, uh, small equaling something bigger. Right? Small dishonesty is a big dishonesty. Right? Um, uh, sometimes, uh, I'm not a person that likes the doctors, but sometimes I go because I have to. Right? And as you get older, the older you get, like, the more poking and prodding and weird things they do to you at your physical. Right? Uh, so if you were to go to your physical and your doctor said, ah, you just have a small bit of cancer, don't worry about it. All right, let's go. You know, you can pay the cashier on the way out, right? That's not ever how we would handle that situation, right? Like, if you had a small bit of cancer, all of a sudden, you know, it's like, like your stomach sinks and, and you worry and you're like, oh, who, who can I tell? Where can I go? What's Google say? And, uh, you know, you start doing all this research, right? Um, that small thing is a big problem, and we recognize that. Okay, and this is the same thing. We need to have a spiritual physical, right? And we have to think about how have I been dishonest managing God's resources, no matter how small, right? With the money that God has given me, with the resources, you know, with the time, with the influence that God has given me, have I been dishonest managing that, right? We're we're all happy thinking about the, the front half of this, you know, faithful and small things, you know, glorious things happen, right? But how have I been dishonest? Maybe that's the more real question, more introspective question that, you know, uh, you can think about at, as homework. Right? How have I been dishonest with God's resources, no matter how small? Because right? this is what the manager was being charged with. The manager was being charged with wasting his possessions, the possessions of God. Right? And this is what we are, right? None of the money that we have is our own. None of the possessions that we have are our own. Right? These are all God's. Right? But how have I... Have I been dishonest with these things? Or have I been honest? Right? And uh, it's, a, it's, it's a difficult thing. You know, even when I was preparing this sermon, I was like, I don't want to give this sermon because there's things I have to think about too. How have I been dishonest with managing God's resources? Right? Because those small things, once again, they're not small things. Right? They're not small things. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, practicing real faithfulness, right? looking at our real dishonesty, right? those are critical things. Right? Real, um, one more thing about uh, real faithfulness. Um, in, uh, in LOLMD, a lot of you guys are participating in that. Uh, some of you guys haven't had the chance to yet. Uh, but one of the things we do in there is there's a mission section. And in the mission section, um, you know, we're supposed to write down a couple people that we're going to target as far as reaching out to, sharing. And, uh, you know, every week, or almost every week, we kind of give a report on, like, how we're doing or what progress have we made or how, how have we, or what are we trying to do. And, um, you know, a lot of weeks are really boring. There's nothing to report. Like, oh, I had lunch with them or, you know, I saw them, said hi to them. Uh, I did, you know, uh, I, didn't, I, I prayed for them. I didn't, I didn't do anything this week, All right? But, but that is... That's what real faithfulness is. Right? Just being there, it's boring, it's mundane, right? but I'm going to keep doing that because every once in a while, okay, someone will come back with the story one week and say, this happened! I got to you know, share about going to church and this and that. Right? And then something exciting happens. But those exciting things never happen without faithfulness. 
right, without faithfulness, without being there week to week and just, you know, preparing. Event. I'm going to be there, you know, and, and, you know, maybe God does nothing for a year, two years, three years, four years, five years, right? But that's faithfulness, right? It's not glory every week, right? And, uh, you know, have I been dishonest at work, at school, at, with my friends, you know, and, and how I, like, have I even tried? Um, but uh, we think about these things. We think about these things. Right, uh, verse 11 to 13. Right? If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Uh, no servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Right? Uh, when we're mastered by someone, all right, we need someone to set us free. Right, a lot of times, you know, if I give a sermon like this, we're like, okay, I'm going to plan how I'm going to get people into the kingdom, and I'm going to try harder managing my wealth. Right, and those are all good things. All right, but at the start of it, at the very beginning, all right, we have to realize we are mastered by something else. We are enslaved to money. This is something we can get free from by ourselves. Right? When we're mastered by something, we need someone else to set us free. And someone who is shrewd and willing to give his most precious wealth to win sinners to eternal dwellings. Right? God gives his most precious son, Jesus, so that we can know him. Right? He's the one willing to do this, to free us from the master of money uh, so that we have the opportunity to be subservient to a loving God. Right? And that's the beginning of where we start figuring this out. Right, coming to God, confessing our sins as lovers of money, Pharisees, being these things, right, and, and falling under God and allowing him to change our hearts from the inside out. Right? Not as an activity from the out. I'm going to start doing this so I can become better, God. And not from the outside in, but from the inside out. Right? It's not something we can earn, right, but it's a gift of grace. Right? So um, as we receive this grace from God, Right, give it gracefully to others as well right, so that we can win an eternal glory for them and ourselves. All right, let me wrap things up with uh, one illustration that uh, hopefully will tie things together. Um, I brought this game. Have you guys ever played this before? <clears throat> there goes my cup holder. Hmm? For the people on the right. For the people on the left, for the people in the back, yeah, all right. So, um, this game's Monopoly, all right. If I ask you, what is the point of this game? What is the point? All right, many of us have played this game. What is the point of this game? All right, yeah, to win money, to gain property, to destroy other people. Right, I, I used to play this game a lot with some of my friends, and of course, you know, the dream is to get Boardwalk and Park Place, right? get your houses on there and get rid of them so you can get to that big fat red hotel, right? And every time they roll the dice, right, you know, they want to go back to jail so they don't, they're free, they're safe, right? But, but you want them to roll the dice and as soon as you see that number, you're already counting and you're like, luxury tax, no, right? <laughs> land on my property, right? And when they land on Boardwalk or Park Place with the big red hotels, right, you give the most insincere apology that you've ever given in your life, I'm like, sorry about that. All right? Give me all your money. 
right? Give me all your money. And then you win. You win. Right? And, and, and that's the point of the game. Even on the back of the box, it says, buy, sell, dream, and scheme. Bankrupt your opponents to win it all. Right? They're telling you right here what to do. Okay? But that is the point of the game, right, when you're sitting around the board and you're right there. Okay? But if you were to take one step back right, and you saw everyone else around the board with you, right, then what is the point of the game? You're playing with your friends. You're building relationship. Right? It's, it's, it, like, this is the point of this game, but there's another game. Right? And, and there's these relationships that you're trying to tend to. Right? Sometimes you get, go, walk away from this with more enemies than friends. Right? That happens, right? but you're not playing the game right then. Okay? But you've got to think about how like, these people are my friends. I want to I build a better relationship with them. Okay? And uh, that's kind of where this dishonest manager was. Okay, the manager was playing the game, and he's like, I'm about to lose this game. I better make some friends so I can get in some more games. So he steps back, looks at the situation, and realizes, I've got to make friends with these people on the outside so that, you know, I'm going to have something to go to. Right? That's how the world works. Okay? But as Christians, we have to realize that there's one more step back. Right? With these friends that we have, right, we realize there's a bigger game and how do we glorify God and enjoy him forever with these people? With these people. Okay? And in the throes of life, you know, you're at your job. You're trying to get your startup off the ground. You're trying to make a million dollars. You're trying to make the next big thing in Silicon Valley. We're all hustling. We're all doing this. Okay? But you got to take a step back and see all the coworkers doing it with you or all the people at school doing it with you, trying to get the good grades and do everything, and realize, you know, this is part of the game, right? But the real game that we want to win is this third step, right? So this is where Jesus is saying, all this play money is just play money. All the stuff in your wallet is just play money, right? Um, use it wisely, right? It's not bad for you to wear name brand clothes. It's not bad, you know, all that. It's just, it's whatever, but one step, two step. Play from here, right, with wisdom. Be shrewd in how we approach the world and the people around us, right? And then we're playing the real game, right? Something eternal, right? Something glorious, right, that'll last forever. All right, so let's pray together. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we thank you again for your son uh, who was everything to you, uh, but you gave him for us. Uh, you used all your wealth uh, to win us into something that we didn't deserve. And uh, Lord, we get wrapped up in our own lives and our own selves, uh, but help us to uh, look at the resources that you've given us and how we can win others to you. Uh, help us to have a humble heart uh, not looking after our, our own needs. Uh, those are important, and those things are necessary. Uh, but at the same time, uh, there's other people that are lost and hurting. And uh, Lord, help us to see um, from three steps away and not just sitting over the board every day of our life. And uh, in that, empower us, give us wisdom, give us the words to say, give us the courage uh, to love others as you have loved us. 
Uh, so we ask this all in Jesus' name.